Welcome to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast with uh, Matt with Matt G. Uh, I'm here with another very special guest. Uh, he is the inside reporter for the LA Lakers and SB Nation writer, uh, Harrison Fagan. Harrison, it's an honor for you to join this podcast. No, man, like I said, like, just before we were going on air, like, I'm happy to do it. Like, during quarantine and, like, especially, like, you know, when you don't get to talk to anyone other than people who live with you very often and, uh, you know, like, all, like also... It, this is the most fun stuff that I'm going to get to podcast about for a long time, so I'm just trying to take it all in. Like, like you know, who knows? Like, you know, in five years, I could be doing podcasts like this, but about the draft again, and I'm just, like, trying to soak all these in before I have to do those ones. I agree, yeah, and it's a, it's a great way, great fun way to uh, let, let some steam loose. Uh, my first question for you is um, tell me what uh, – walk us through your experiences uh, to get to – to, to get to where you're at today and what have you learned from those experiences so just like my career journey like uh yes yeah so it, it, i mean in brief i was um and i've told this story before but like i was a psychology major and i was planning to be a special education teacher at, and i was going to community college and i started to get to the point of that major where it was like i was like oh i was told there would be no math and all of a sudden like i was doing stats and psychology and research methods and like all this stuff that was not like my passion um even though like i was very interested and still am in psychology and how the brain works and all of that stuff but just not like to the point where like I did I do not have the type of brain to analyze studies or whatever. <laughs> like I definitely learned something about like small sample size and how to get like that it's helped me with basketball analysis that I didn't never realize but like I it was not like that was not the part of it that I wanted to pursue and I realized I'd probably have to get a doctorate in it like to be able to really do it much with the degree and at the same time I was going through some back pain uh, like a lot of back pain that was making it hard to sit in classes so like between those two things my motivation to like go to school was really really low I ended up basically dropping out I was basically what got me through the day uh you know as I was going to doctor's appointments to like try and like figure out my back was like watching the Lakers and keeping up with the Lakers at, at that time it's a great move and that was the 20 that was the ultimately doomed 2012-13 season oh. um but I fell in love with silver screen and roll.com which is where I write now and um like just felt like I was a part of a community. I never really read a site that was that was written like they did, like this kind of more informal blogging, very fan centric, very um, like first person voice sometimes. Like you could tell who was writing a story versus like the traditional news writing style. And like I was just reading everything and eventually one day I saw that they had like a help wanted. So um, I ended up applying to and getting the job to like do some like basically daily news roundups type things and like a newsletter before newsletter it was just daily links column um and so i was helping out with that for a while and then eventually just started writing a little bit started blogging a little bit for them uh on stuff outside of that just started blogging more and more i went from like once a month to once a week to multiple times a week to like multiple times a day at that point i like i won a contest to go and cover 2015 summer league um so this was like two years later but uh like and so that was the d'angelo russell year i got to like kind of be on the ground i was too nervous to even ask a single question during the entire time but i still was like 
this is what I want to do. This is awesome. I get to go to basketball games. Like, I get to write stories about it afterwards. This is really cool. So I ended up transferring to Cal State Fullerton, uh, pursuing a degree in journalism, and uh, then ended up, I worked at the student paper there for two years while still doing Silver Screen Enroll, and then for a couple months I was at Lakers Nation before getting a full-time job back at Silver Screen Enroll, uh, and then I was actually a full-time employee for my last year before graduation, which wow. was pretty, like, that was a pretty cool milestone, even though I was an old college student, but still, like, it was a pretty cool moment when I was able to get that job and get, like, health insurance and be able to tell my, like, at-the-time girlfriend, now wife, about all that, and so, like, you know, it was just, like, a lot of writing, a lot of podcasting, and, um, like eventually just kind of working my way and you know like I've just been lucky that like I'm still in disbelief sometimes and it's funny I talk to friends about this like I'm still in disbelief that people care what I have to say like and I think that's just like that I've been doing it for so long that there are some people that care and like you know I I know that I have like a strength for figuring out like what people are interested in and writing about that so I know that helps um but like yeah I mean like it's just it's kind of amazing like you know just to like for you to say when I came on here that you followed my tweets for a long time, like that's, I do, like that's not something I ever thought would happen. So like, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's been a fun journey and like a ton of bad basketball. So this year was definitely uh, like the most fun, you know, just from in, in a lot of ways, not in every way, but in a lot of ways, just from the sense of like to actually write about the basketball because every game mattered. I had to learn how to cover a team where the basketball actually mattered. It wasn't just like, oh, what young player played well? What positive signs did they show? Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's been a wild ride, but a lot of fun. Um, when did you start? You said you started covering the Lakers during the 2012-13 campaign. It was 2013. It was the day Dwight Howard left. Was, uh, oh, was 2013, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. That was... Uh, so, like, free agency. It was, like, July 2013 was, like, when I actually started. Right. And that's when uh, Chris Kamen came, Wes Johnson came, and uh, the emergence of uh, of uh, more starting, more playing minutes for Robert Sacra. Uh, yeah, Robert Sacre. Yeah. Like, I remember yeah. thinking, I remember thinking it being on like the Xavier Henry bandwagon. The Z- Xavier Henry, really Jordan good. Farmar came back. Then Jody Meeks was the leading scorer that year. Jody Meeks. So my first, I've told this story a couple times recently, but like my first game recap ever was the Jody Meeks like fifty point game or whatever against. <laughs> I forget how exactly how many he had, but against the Thunder, where you know you, it was just like the NBA set it up. Like you got to watch the two premier scorers in the league at that time, Kevin Durant and Jody Meeks, go head to head on a Sunday, I believe, and uh, like that was an insane game to recap. I still remember, and probably like the best. Like throwing, you know, throwing my feet into the fire, I could have gotten. Right. Um, what was it like? Uh, tell me about the evolution of where the Lakers started to where they were at. You started covering the 2013-2014 year, was which was the descent, the first year of the descent to going many seasons without a playoffs um, uh, berth. What was it like um, covering the downfall to the rise uh, again, the Lakers? Walk me through that. Yeah, so I think early on, I was one of the people, because I was still like a diehard, diehard fan at the time, that was like, okay, like, I mean, they're down, but Kobe's going to come back, they're going to be okay, like, you know, he's going to prove all the haters wrong again, and like, they're going to be, they're going to have free agency, they're going to sign like, I don't know, like Carmelo Anthony or something, like, they're going to sign someone next summer, like, this will be a briefly, like, down year, but maybe they'll make the playoffs and, uh, you know, like, get it together, but that was obviously not um, what ended up happening at all. Um, You know, I believe 
Kobe played like six games or something. Right. Like first yeah, he came back, back and um, and then he uh, and then his uh, knee was hurting. It was a knee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he he like barely played. Um, and that was just like you know it, it was a unique year to get thrown into the fire because you had to learn about a lot of guys that you may not have known much about before and figure it out like okay, like, who do people care about? Who should I cover? Like, what actually matters here? That kind of stuff. Um, and then for a number of years, it became like, okay, like, should the Lakers tank? Like, what draft picks can they get? Like, what young guys on the roster should they be playing more than the veterans? Like, a, a big line of coverage was, like, over those couple of years was basically, like, why isn't X young player playing more, essentially? Because, like, you know, it was year after year, you'd see it. And, like, now, I think, like, covering, like, a winning team, you start – and, like, seeing a winning team again, you start to understand, like, yeah, like, young players are not good at basketball. Now, there is still an argument to be made that they should have been playing just to get, like, thrown into the fire a little bit, get some more minutes, develop, whatever. Like, we could still go back and forth on that. But it was a lot of years of, like – okay, like, what does this Jordan Clarkson kid have? Like, okay, like, what is Julius Randle showing in his return from injury? Like, uh, you know, like, what can D'Angelo Russell do? What is Brandon Ingram going to bring? What is Alonzo Ball doing? Like, all these guys, you go, like, on and on down the line. And it ended up, like, none of it mattered anyway because none of them ended up staying around. You know, they either left in free agency or got traded or for Anthony Davis or otherwise to free up cap space for a second star or whatever it may be. Um so it was just like a lot of years of bad basketball and like covering guys who ultimately didn't matter, but trying to find like what did matter in those seasons and what people did care about. So like whether it's writing about, okay, like here are the Lakers lottery odds, here's how this win affected that, all that stuff. So it was learning like how to cover a losing team and keep people engaged. That's like writing about like, okay, what free agents can they sign down the line? Who can they draft? Like what is the, even though they lost, like why was this a promising game for D'Angelo Russell? Like that kind of stuff. And so, and covering like the implications of tanking versus not tanking and like the lottery odds, would they get to keep their pick because they had like protected picks a couple times, um, like all that stuff. And just like really learning about like the down cycle of the NBA. And then to this year where it's all of a sudden, like I mentioned before, like learning how to cover a good team and like, oh yeah, like, okay, like we aren't covering lottery odds, like all that stuff. And like, that sounds obvious, but it's just a little different to cover a team. And it's like a different learning how to ask questions, like, like what types of questions to ask, like when the games actually do matter again, um, <laughs> that kind of stuff, like was, you know, a learning curve and what kind of stories like to write and writing a lot more about two stars than I ever had before, because like the Lakers have never had two stars before in my entire time covering the team, right. it, you know, and unless you count like Kobe and Jeremy Lin during that, <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, like, so or Carlos think, Boozer. Yeah. Carlos, Carlos Boozer, Boozer. Like, former star Carlos Boozer. Right. Um, you know, like the, the, the king of the hold at, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think, yeah. So it was just like a lot of covering bad teams and then learning how to cover a good one basically. And then like learning how much more fun it is when the basketball actually matters, the games actually matter. You're getting to analyze like real strategy versus just saying like, Oh, the coach should have played, you know, Lonzo Balmore or whatever it may be like to develop. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I, I would uh, agree with that. Um, it was very interesting uh, knowing the uh, way the Lakers came back um, with a uh, year after year of draft picks and, now the now they're finally back and back in the championship glory and back to being like the cream of the crop of the NBA. It's a, it's a joy to watch and it brings happiness to me that for that the Lakers are back. Um, talk to me about 
the late great Kobe Bryant, who was my idol growing up. Um, what was it like covering his last year? Um, we'll get to another Kobe su- subject in a in a bit, but what was it like f- covering Kobe's final year with the Lakers? Yeah, so I, that was actually the first year that I was fortunate enough to be credentialed a little bit to um, like cover in the locker room, actually at Lakers games. So like, I'll, I'll start. So I, you know, I mentioned that I covered uh, like the summer league, the twenty fifteen right. summer league, and then that was like the year before his farewell tour, essentially, we, which we didn't know going into the year. Like we kind of thought maybe, but then eventually, like at at some point, I think it was like November or whatever, he announced that it right. was going to be his last season. It was against so the Pacers I, when he did that. Huh. It was against the the game before the Pacer against the Pacers at home. That is a great memory. I did not remember yeah. the specific team at all. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's a weird um, memory I have. Yeah, so I started. I think I covered like uh, I covered a couple preseason games that year, and it was funny. Like my first. Uh, time ever in the Lakers locker room I remember I walked in and I was like I I was completely just dumbstruck kid like because I couldn't it was almost like you have this moment where even though you like you know intuitively you have the press pass you know that it's like the time uh like before the game that you're allowed to be in there but you keep like looking around like waiting like is somebody gonna realize I'm not supposed to be in here and like grab me and take me out of here or whatever like because you're looking around and it's like oh my god like that's Kobe's locker like you're looking down that's the giant Lakers logo on the floor like that you've seen them celebrating championships on a million times like all that stuff and it's just like you're in this moment of almost disbelief and then all of a sudden I um I hear this like I I hear this like watch out and like all of a sudden Kobe is grabbing my shoulders and moving me to the side wow. so that he can take the most efficient path from the room where the player the players lounge where they would basically go hide from us pregame so that they didn't have to talk to reporters to the training room and like it was the most Kobe thing ever because he could have just walked around me. But no, like Kobe was like, I am not stepping like one step out of like the most efficient route to get to this training room and go get my treatment and like do any extra movement before the game than I can because I still have to go out there and play tonight and I'm not going to take two extra steps. You know what I mean? Right. So, like I'm going to move this, uh, you know, this like dumb blogger out of my way and like and you know like it wasn't like he didn't like shove me down or something like that he just it was very politely just like was you know didn't think i saw him just moved me out of the way a little bit and but it was like this like holy shit like (laughs) you know like that was just kobe and it was just like this moment where you have like almost your whole career to that point flash before your eyes. And like, that was pretty cool. Um, and then I remember I didn't get to cover his last game in person because obviously the media demands for that were insane, but I did cover a couple games of his down the stretch of that season after the Lakers like saw that, you know, like I covered their D league team a little bit and they realized like, okay, this guy's not going to show up in like a Kobe Jersey and ask for autographs. Like he's professional enough. We can let him in and credential him for real games. So like I, um, you know, I got to cover a couple games down the stretch of that season, and uh, I remember I was in his last locker room scrum before they moved all of his like couple his, his post game availabilities to the podium because there was so much media demand, and there they, like there was with good reason. Like you know that crowd was insane. I remember at one point that night, like Ramona Shelburne, you could just hear her disembodied voice like ask a question, and Kobe's like looking around like huh, like like where is it? Like trying to find her, yeah, was- you know, like because he he knew her like and so like it's like anyone like if somebody's talking to you that you know you're going to try and figure out okay where are they and he's like and all of a sudden just in the middle of a question he's like ramona where are you (laughs) you know like and she was behind like 
like probably like you know three rows of like tall people like just in this mass of humanity around his locker and like i i like to think that that was the moment where the lakers were like yeah like we should probably do his last couple games in front of the podium because this is insane but i still have that picture of me in the background of like i didn't actually get to ask him a question that night but it was pretty cool just to be there and um you know like get to be a part of it yeah, I, I would have loved to. Uh, to I, I could have imagined like being a part of that media circus. Like um, there was like what two hundred fifty to like three hundred people covering Kobe's final game, and that whole, the whole. Yeah, there had to be. Like I mean, I didn't even make the cut, which means that like it, you know, like there was just an insane amount of people, and like I, I'd like to think at this point I would make the cut, and they probably <laughs> put me up in like the auxiliary like blog box. Oh, you I make the it, cut like, easily now. The Raptors basically, but um, like back then I was uh, you know, I was like four games in and not uh, not quite on the level yet. Right. Um. Yeah. But now you're top. Top tier level, um, up with uh, Anthony Irwin. I, I don't and, know uh, about that, but I appreciate you saying. So. Yeah. Um, my next question for you is um, the the years after Kobe, the two years um, when they were um, still up and coming. You know, drafting Brandon Ingram and trading for uh, Kyle Kuzma, trading um, Timothy Timothy Mozgov um, for Kyle Kuzma. Um, what um, what was it like uh, covering the year? the years of Magic Johnson taking over as president of basketball operations and those two years before LeBron came. And uh, what was it like from that perspective? It was hectic, Um, you know, because, like, there was a lot of kind of uncertainty about which direction the team was going to go, like, which young guys were going to stick around, who was going to develop, like, how would guys fit together, all of that stuff. And then you had, like, the two big contracts in Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov, and then... He's still on the Lakers' payroll, Luol Deng. That's crazy. Luol Deng was, I believe, the fourth highest paid Laker last year. Uh, But right behind... (laughs) What? um, Yeah, he was either fourth or fifth. I think he might have been fifth. I think it was behind Danny Green and KCP and then obviously LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I believe he was the fifth highest paid Laker last season. No way. His cap hold. That's crazy. Which is crazy, right? That's like, that... so they were they basically won a title with like one, with like a, you know a decent chunk of cap space tied behind their back, which is crazy. Um, but <laughs> you know, Lou, Lou was a really nice guy, actually. Like I know he takes a lot of flack from Lakers fans, but like I always appreciated that like he was willing to answer questions and stuff like that. Timothy Mozgov actually was like one of the first players to ever like just take a pregame interview with me. Was like incredibly candid about like talking about the young. Like I was like basically you know like I'm like this brand new kind of reporter like basically coming in there like so why do you think D'Angelo Russell is so special and like he was super candid about like oh like they're gonna have to learn to play defense and like all this stuff just basically like ripping them a little bit and like not completely but like being really really candid about like how flawed a lot of these young guys were and it was the moment that I realized I was like oh like some guys are a little more honest than others about this stuff and like realizing that like oh yeah maybe there is something to the idea that like veterans don't necessarily always want to cover up from the mistakes of young guys and stuff like that like so that was like a learning experience and the other thing too about the like magic years is the Lakers were a much more leaky organization when he took over you went from the Jim Buss, Mitch Kupchak era, which obviously they had their flaws, but they were um, including this to some degree, but they, they almost never leaked. Like almost everything was kept in house. If you remember during those drafts, like, the Lakers were basically the one pick that Woj couldn't tip like five minutes before it actually came in. Um, 
And so they were like a very insular organization, I think to their detriment, because it kept them from controlling the narrative. And so Jeannie was able to do that through anonymous sources and things like that. And I think it ended up working against Jim and Mitch, like among many other things and mistakes that they made. Uh, but then Magic comes in and all of a sudden every reporter is hearing about every single move that the Lakers can or maybe might or will make. And Magic and- got fined for tampering. Like one time when Magic was on Jimmy Kimmel, uh, really expressing that he... He, he, didn't, he didn't get fined for tampering oh, for that, though. That wasn't what the fine was for, though. Oh, I thought uh, it was the for fine, Yeah, no, they, they, it's, everybody thinks that that's oh. what they got fined for, but they didn't. it wasn't actually that appearance. They got fined for two things. It was They got a record fine for, uh, it was Rob Polinka actually, was caught emailing Paul George's agent uh, <laughs> and about like, stuff. And, yeah, so, like, and the Lakers got the largest tampering fine in league history for that, and what, what I have heard is that it was, uh, you know, like, you know, Aaron Mintz and Rob Polinka don't really get along. And my the theory that I have heard is that Aaron Mintz, uh, you know, was not happy with how Rob with Rob Polinka in general. And then Rob in the, the Lakers traded, uh, you know, his client, D'Angelo Russell, to Brooklyn. And like the best again, like, I, I don't know if this is true, but the best the, the theory that I have heard is that he leaked that to the NBA when they investigated the Paul George stuff as like kind of like you know, an FU, but I, again, I don't know. Um, and so like, I don't know if that's true, but that is, it, it is like not crazy to think about a little bit. And, uh, like, it's not like a crazy leap to make. Um, and so like they got fined for that and they got fined for, um, what was it? It was, uh, it was magic saying that Giannis would win a, a title in Milwaukee, but he was really complimentary while he was saying it about how great of a player Giannis is and the Lakers got fined for that. But those were the two fines. It was not the Kimmel thing, which um, everybody thinks it was because it was like, honestly, he probably should have been fined for that. But that may have set them up for the fine later down the line. They like saw him do that. And then like once the other stuff happened, they're like, okay, yeah, actually we got to take these guys for this. What was it like uh, covering the two years of the big baller brand? <laughs> you know, it was funny. Like, I was at Lakers Nation for part of that time, and I became, like, the go-to, like, LeVar Ball guy because I was willing to, like, <laughs> I was on such a crazy schedule that I was willing to take, like, any article that Matt, uh, my boss at the time, threw at me that, like, wasn't time-sensitive. And so a lot of the time that was LeVar says X thing. And so I became, like, the LeVartical guy. Yeah, um, LeVartical. Like, the, yeah, the, the big baller beat writer and so like i just wrote like a ton about lavar ball it was an exhausting time to be honest like especially before i got to lakers nation when i was in charge of almost everything for silver screen and a roll and like lavar would just constantly say stuff that like needed to be blogged because it was a big headline and like eventually after like a year or so he went through all like he played all the greatest hits so it wasn't news when he said stuff anymore but like you know for a year there it was like constantly he was saying stuff and it's like you, you have to write about it because the perspective of, like, it is wild that this, like, actual NBA player's parent is saying this to reporters. Like how he's saying that, that like, Lonzo like, had a bigger impact than, than Magic ever had. He said that um, that Lonzo would shoot his way in a game better than Steph Curry did. And when La- LeVar said that he, he could beat Lonzo Michael. Lonzo would beat Steph Curry one-on-one. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That, but you know what? To his credit, he's an unbelievable marketer. During those two years, you could at least say that. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, if, yeah. you, if you think about it, you don't have to buy ads if everybody's constantly writing about you and what you're saying and all of that stuff. So, like, I, I mean, it was genius what he did. He basically used us and it was smart. Like, you know, I think if I had to do it over again, I would probably write about it a little less because 
knowing what I know now, it's less notable. Like, it was just bloviation, basically. But at the time, like, it seemed like it was a huge deal that, like, this kid's parent was saying this stuff. And in some ways, it was because it was unprecedented. Right. Um, Lonzo, his rookie year, I felt like was kind of underwhelming. But Kyle Kuzma, at the time, like, he was, like, he was all rookie first team. Him and B.I. were the leading scorers that year. They still had some very good pieces uh, going forward. And Julius Randle played pretty well. Um, Even Lonzo was a good piece. I Lonzo like, was a good I, I piece. He was him. just fell short of the lofty expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. When Magic said that he could one day have his jersey retired. Hey, it's not too late. It's not too late. Magic <laughs> in the year, he could come back and prove Magic right, you know? Like, right. it, like it's, it's not out of the question. It's just right. probably out of the question. <laughs> right. So let's get to the big one. Let's talk about uh, King James, uh, in my opinion, the greatest ever, um, joining the L.A. Lakers. What was it like covering LeBron coming to the Lakers? Two-part question. What was it like covering LeBron coming to the Lakers during that free agency year? And what was it like covering that whole first year of LeBron in general? So the, the free agency year, it was actually like, ironically, it was the most relaxed I've ever been during free agency because like every other year there was like this, oh, who are the Lakers going to sign? Like, we don't really know like what's going to happen, all that stuff like that year, like, you know, we like it had been pretty clear for months that LeBron was coming and that it was basically like there was a chance it wouldn't happen, but it was like 99% like it was going to happen. And like, you know, like at least for, at least for like a month beforehand. So like, I was pretty sure, like I had all of like my LeBron stuff, like already written, like ready to go for when he signed. And so like, and it was also like a short free agency cycle. Like, I mean, just think back to last summer and you know, summer 20, 2018, 20, no, 2019, 2019. Uh, with Kawhi and like how long that dragged on as he made his decision. And like to some degree, that was a little unprecedented, but then you contrast it with LeBron. LeBron made his decision. And like, I think it was less than a day after free agency opened. Like he met with magic, decided, said he was going to think it over for a couple days and then was going to go on vacation. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to be a Laker. So he just called like from the ramp to his private jet and ended up like calling it in and, he was a Laker. They put out the press release and it was, um, so like that part of it was, you know, honestly not that bad comparatively to a lot of other free agencies that I've covered. And like, not that crazy, I guess I should say, like, because we kind of knew that he was coming. And then by that point, Paul George had already went elsewhere. So it was like, you weren't waiting to see like, okay, what other Mac star is going to join? Cause there weren't any, it was like, okay, like let's cover whatever role players they signed, fill out the roster and we'll go from there. So like, it was kind of the, like, ironically, it was the least hectic free agency, which is like, that's not normally what people would associate with the LeBron experience, but I do think that it was representative of kind of how he's been since he got to the Lakers. Like, you know, signing that long-term deal, you aren't having to cover every single summer. Is he going to stay? What's he going to do? Who is he trying to leverage them into signing? All that stuff, like, that you had while he was with the Cavs in the last couple of years with Miami and, like, all of those things. Like, there was no, there was none of that because he had signed long-term, like, you know, we'll get it to some degree next summer because, you know, he has an opt-out and he could either, you know, who knows? Like, I, I kind of doubt at this point that he'll retire, but it's possible. Um, and, like, you know, he's got more years he goes left. back to Cleveland. Huh? He's got way more years left. He can play until he's 42. I think so, too. But, like, you know, theoretically it is possible that he could retire. He could go back to Cleveland. Right. He could um, he could stay in L.A. and decide to, like, you know, re-up here. He could try and go, you know, set himself up to play wherever Bronny's going to play. We don't really know what he's going to do next summer. He could just opt in. 
Um, but there, it, we're going to get our first taste of it next summer, is I guess, or next off season, whenever that may be. Um, it's kind of my larger point. But it was a pretty stress-free free agency from that respect. It was like one of the only years I've ever been able to go and like go to Fourth of July parties and stuff like that since I started doing this job because it was all wrapped up by like July third, so that was nice. Um, and then covering LeBron, it was in his first year. You know, it was it was hectic because like you know at first they looked like they were going to be a really good team, like at least a playoff team, probably a second round team at the very least. And then all of a sudden there's the injury and it's like, Oh, like this is a LeBron lottery team. Like, what do we write about that? And like, just like trying to keep track of all, there was the late playoff push, the crazy trade deadline of Mike Muscala and Reggie Bullock. And that, that was, that was a, that was not a great, that was a terrible move that magic made. I love magic as a person. Don't get me wrong, but as a president of basketball operations, he was just, he made some dumb decisions by trading away Julius Randle and trading away Brooke Lopez. And instead, like, he traded Ivivka Zubac, who was doing pretty well at the Lakers, for yeah, Mike. The, the Zubac one is the one that, like, is the big mistake because that, that trade to me screamed the, like, I looked at NBA.com three-point percentage for big men and saw that Mike Muscala was available and he <laughs> up there and made it because, like, you know, he, like, he was not good and he had not really been good that no. season. Zubac had actually been good and the fact that they traded him because of that and because JaVale was grousing a little bit about his role and, like, felt threatened, like, it was just, like, dumb justification for a trade and, like, it made no sense at the time. Even though they won a title, it still makes no sense now because Zubac could have helped them this year and like obviously you know they won so who cares like to some degree but also like like that's a young player that's a valuable young big man like he could have helped out this year in some ways but you know it, it, it's water under the bridge at this point but like the Lopez thing like I don't criticize him as much for just because he was never going to come back like you know based on what I heard like he just had he hated his year in LA was like there was no chance he was going to come back in free agency uh and then Randall the Randall one was a little questionable, but now that they kind of made the moves that they made, it ended up working out, obviously. But at the time, it was like, why not just re-sign him? But I think that was also, to some degree, I think he was unhappy. With, I think Randall was unhappy in L.A. with um, the way that he was used and all of that stuff. His agent was also Aaron Mintz, who, like, has that longstanding, you know, kind of, like, like a good, like, key thing is, like, if a, if a cli- guy is an Aaron Mintz client, like, don't necessarily expect them to be linked to the Lakers. Like, him and Blinka have beef going back years, and I'm not sure that that's, like, resolved itself. So, um, like, you know, he, he was always, like, seemed to be short for this team, like, that whole year, basically, once they didn't extend him. So, um, like, I, I don't give them too much criticism for those two moves, the Lopez and Randall one, but the Mescala one is, like, still to this day, you know, like, one of the worst trades I've ever seen. Right. And that whole year was just a crazy criticism directed at, first of all, they were calling for Luke Walton's job earlier in the year. And then uh, there was... They basically put him on the hot seat like 10 games in. Right. And then there was like the whole failed trade. I a pre-write from like, really? from like probably like October or November of like Luke Walton fired that I just slowly what? updated throughout the year and then eventually used on the day that he was fired. Um, but it was like, we had had that thing sitting in the planner all year of like, like here are all this so that it would be ready with like, okay, like here is like Luke Walton's whole tent. Like it was basically the story of Luke Walton's tenure in LA. Um, <laughs> and like, so you're just updating it every so often with like, whenever it seemed like he was on the hot seat again. And then eventually like he obviously like they parted ways. That whole year was, was like the biggest like criticism, like 
I've ever of of a team I've ever seen in years. Like what happened with um first of all, obviously LeBron clearly was not a hundred percent. He's playing through basically a torn groin, but the fact that they tried to trade so at times so many people for Anthony Davis at so many points, then Rich Paul got criticism for it, and then there was people in Jeannie Buss's ear telling her to trade LeBron and then Jeff Van Gundy. I was watching the Lakers Celtics game. Jeff Van Gundy wanted the Lakers to trade LeBron. That was crazy. That whole year and all yeah, that. A, it's, it's a good thing for him that he's not trying to get an executive role with where right. he's up trying to head coaching next. Like after that one, I would say probably killed any chance of him getting personnel power too. Right. That whole year was just what was it like covering that whole negative first year with LeBron and the whole Magic suddenly quitting, like, and all criticism directed at Rob Palenka, too? What was it like that whole year, first year of LeBron with the Lakers? It was a circus the whole time. Like, you know, I, I said that free agency was mostly calm. Like, the, the entire season was the exact opposite of that because, you know, like, it's like I said, you had the injury. You had them trying to figure out, like, okay, what trade deadline moves can they make? You had them trying to trade for Anthony Davis. Like, all that stuff. Like, it was just, like, like leaking basically every offer that they were throwing the entire team at the wall and then not doing it and keeping those guys around when they all knew that you just tried to trade them and then Magic going into the locker room and basically telling them to man up and get over. It. It's like you just dragged us through the mud for two weeks, and now you expect us to just like come in and make a playoff push. Like it was the most, like it was honestly the, probably the most toxic locker room I've ever covered, just because of like the veteran versus young guy dynamics, and you know like the splintering and factionalism, and then you had like everybody leaking everything constantly, trying to undermine each other, and like trying to undermine Luke, Luke trying to you know blame the players, like. Magic trying to blame Luke and and the players and like all that stuff and like you know it was and then it, the only way really that it could have culminated was with him resigning the last game of the season in like one more circus on the way out the door like it was honestly like it was not fun in the moment but it was perfect in retrospect to encapsulate the Magic Johnson era like there was no there was very little planning no one was told beforehand Magic just went out said something and then everyone had to deal with it. Right, and um, talk, talk, walk me through the summer of 2019. First, let's talk about uh, the Anthony Davis trade, how it went down, and like how hyped everybody was again. And talk to me about trying to get Kawhi Leonard that summer. Yeah, so um, the Anthony Davis trade went down. It was actually, it was funny, like, excuse me, um, we had, uh, we like, I had had a pre-write ready for that for a while because, like, we, you know, we kind of sensed that it was going to happen at some point, and that, that's kind of, when I say pre-write, like, that's like a little inside journalism blogging thing where, like, right. if we think that there's a story that's going to happen, it's like 90% likely, we'll usually write an article like it has happened so that when it does happen, we can just drop that and it's ready to go. Um, and they, they do that across journalism and stuff like that. They have like stuff like that ready. Mm -hmm. And um, like we have one right now for Anthony Davis opting out because like that's, you know, like they've leaked over and over again that it's going to happen. So like, you know, he's going to opt out and then he's going to resign. But like first they've got to opt out. So we're ready for that. But like, so we had the Anthony Davis trade pre-write. And I remember it was funny that morning I was getting set to head to Disneyland. And, wow, sounds um, fun. With, uh, <laughs> with my then fiance now wife and a couple of our friends, we were taking our friends and their kid to Disneyland because she worked there and she could get sign-ins and stuff. Um, 
And so we were on our way, and I remember I was texting Christian, my coworker at the site. I'm like, look, like, you know, there's a chance the AD trade could go down today. Just remember, like, we got a pre-write ready for this, like, and then just kind of cover whatever, and then I'll deal with the fallout when we got home. And lo and behold, that was exactly what happened. I was on the Cars ride when uh, the Anthony Davis trade broke, and I get off, and I all of a sudden, like, I just see, like, oh my god and all of a sudden like uh so i'm rushing like i check like christian's already published my pre-write i go through and read through it make sure that like he updated it so it didn't like there wasn't like according to xxx because we didn't know who would break the trade or whatever in there um all that stuff checked on that had to post a video that like one of our guys had done for like when the anthony davis trade got done like for on the disneyland wi-fi which took forever and i was panicking about and then like basically like the rest of the time like we're sitting it was funny we were in line for uh like the toy story midway arcade ride or whatever and like i'm staring at my phone the whole time kind of giving my one of my friends like who was also like well he's a clippers fan but he's like an nba fan in general like he giving him updates on what they gave up and all that stuff and we're just talking about it and debating and i watch everything start slowly start to come through and his daughter's like yelling at us like look at this look at this like um, like, trying to get it like that has no you know, she, she's like five, so she has no understanding of like what is happening or why it matters. Not a basketball fan, so she doesn't care. Like just like trying to keep us in the moment where like both of us are staring at my phone trying to figure out like, okay, how many pick swaps did they give up? Like what is going on here and all that stuff. And then, you know, like I, you know, ended up trying to have a fun rest of my day at Disneyland and then um, like just uh, went home and vlogged my ass off for a couple hours, went to bed, did the same thing the next day. Um, and then the Kawhi Leonard free agency was unlike, I think, anything I've ever covered just from the sense of, like, this was pre-quarantine. So theoretically, right. I could leave my house, but <laughs> I could not leave my house because there was new stuff breaking, like, every single second. You know, like, I think the only time that entire week that I actually, like, left was to go see the new Spider-Man movie. <laughs> um and that was, like, only because, like, I basically, like, begged, like, my, you know, I, like, Christian, and I was like, look, like, I need to go take a break. My my fiancé is going to leave me if I don't, like, go and do something. And, it, like, she was not actually going to, but it felt like it at times. And, like, uh, so I was like, you got to watch the ship or whatever. Like, just, you know, if anything happens to break while we're in Spider-Man Far From Home. And thankfully nothing did, but it was just, like, this crazy thing of we were getting updates on, like, I remember, uh, you know, we would get, like, a leak that from Chris Carter that was like, Kawhi's not going to make his decision today. And it was like, okay, awesome. Like, I can go for a walk tonight because it means we're not going to get any crazy leaks. But, you know, outside of that stuff, we were just basically glued to our laptops waiting for the story to break. And, you know, usually you're doing that with star free agents for a day or two because they'll decide and, like, kind of the rest of the league decides and it cascades like dominoes. But – this was like this thing where everybody's finding a home because a lot of guys don't want to wait on Kawhi, but some guys are waiting on Kawhi. So then you have this whole thing where you're waiting it out. You're writing up every update. And then I remember when it finally happened, I was at dinner with some Lakers people and my friend Anthony. And uh, like we were in a hotel where a lot of NBA people were playing and were staying. And it was like before I even saw the Chris Haynes alert, like Kawhi has like signed with the Clippers, Paul George trade, like all that stuff. I hear this, like, you all of a sudden, like, you know, the, the like, couple of Lakers people were, like, like, I, like, broke the news to, like, a couple of people that worked for the Lakers. Like, I was like, oh, like, Haynes just reported. They're like, what? And, like, they start looking. Like, these are not people in, like, basketball operations. But still, like, it was kind of crazy. And, um, like, uh, just hearing, like, the reaction almost cascade through Las Vegas as it was happening, 
in the next couple of days, you're having to cover every single free agent that they're signing because they're signing like 20 guys. It felt like in 12 hours, and uh, like it was pretty wild. I gotta say. Yeah, that that whole free agency summer 2019 was crazy because I thought that Kawhi would go to the Lakers, but when I found out that he really just wanted. I but when I really, he just wanted to wait on what the Clippers, the Clippers saying, hey, man, people were thinking I'm going to the Lakers. We need to get Kawhi, we need to find a way to get Paul George. I think Kawhi and Paul George kind of wanted to play with each other. I think that's I how, so I think that's kind of how it went down. Um, but the fact the Lakers got, got AD to get along with uh, signing Avery Bradley, to get uh, Danny Green, who at the time was a good signing, and then getting Dwight Howard, which was there, which was a lot of like criticism, skepticism about him rejoining. Yeah, like, I, like almost no one thought that was going to work out. Even I was like, I can see the logic, but I'm not really sure about this. And then it ended up it, like it. Um, yeah, I mean that that ended up being an incredible signing. And the whole there was a lot of people. Let me just tell you how the media re, uh, who are just straight up Lakers slash LeBron haters said that Lakers will most be a four seed. They're not going. Some people even thought that there was a better chance that LeBron would win an Emmy before they would win a championship. Like, it was just crazy. The amount of criticism the Lakers and LeBron received. Like, people, some people didn't think the AD trade was great at the time because they gave up so much for him. Like, that was... It's interesting how they took so much criticism for that, but yet Lawrence Frank won Executive of the Year for giving up more draft picks for Paul George. That's, that, that makes no time. sense to me. That makes yeah. no sense. They gave up, like... What did they give up? Like five or six picks for Paul George? I don't remember exactly, but it was more than the Anthony Davis trade. And like, I, I get the argument that, like, okay, it's not just Paul George. You're getting Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi wasn't coming without. But still, I mean, come on. Like, like we're being a little... Kawhi wasn't like, a part of that trade. Here. Kawhi wasn't traded. He chose to go to the Clippers. Yeah, but, like, I think the argument is, like, he wouldn't have signed. Right. So, like, technically, you're kind of trading for both. Like, I, I get the argument. But, like, at the same time, it feels so intellectually dishonest when it's like, okay, yeah, but if the Lakers don't trade for AD, then you have an unhappy LeBron. And, like, yeah, he's not going to, like, leave the team, but you're not going to have, like, a good season or whatever. So they were just as under the gun, like, as the Clippers were. Right. And before the season, people thought LeBron was a washed king. And, like, these people in the media were just out of control. How many people were just so many against the Lakers? But I, for one on the record, have said, as soon as they got AD, I knew the Lakers were going to win the championship. And I said I'd take them over the entire field when that move went down. You're, you were more faithful than I was. I, I thought that there were... I I actually thought that the Clippers should be the favorite. I, like, and I, like, I had the Bucks ahead of the Lakers, too, just because we hadn't seen it. Like, it was the supporting cast more than anything. Like, I, I still thought the Lakers would, like, at worst, be the third best team in the league. And, like, the, we're absolutely the same level of contender as those two teams. I just thought, like, you know, I think I overvalued the Clippers' wing defense a little bit too much, especially because it didn't end up mattering. They didn't end up playing the Lakers. Uh, and so, like, they got killed by a big. <laughs> we'll talk like, about that know, soon. It makes you think, like, like if they just got destroyed by Nikola Jokic, like, what what would Anthony Davis have done to them? You oh, he would have I mean? dominated like, Ivivka you know, Zubac easily and Montrez Harrell, who was working himself into shape. AD would have dominated both of them easily. That's what I mean. Like, I think in retrospect, like, clearly the Lakers would have won that series, but yeah, given what, what we've seen play out now, but... You know, at the time, like, I, I think there were fair doubts. I think some of
some of the doubts that you're talking about, like the, you know, they're more likely to miss the playoffs than win the title. Like that, that's an insane take. And like, there were like a lot of insane takes out there, but I, I think that it was fair to somewhat doubt them. Obviously they proved a lot of those doubters wrong. Um, but like, you know, I, I have to admit, like even I didn't think that they would be this good because I didn't see this level of defense. As soon as like that defense started to show up, I was like, okay, actually this team's better than I thought they could be because it's not just the LeBron and AD pick and roll show with some shooters and stuff like that. Like they can actually like put the clamps on teams. And that's, I think it was like a couple games into the season when they were like, you know, I, I think they were number one in the West. I forget what their exact record was. 52 won, and like, I think 52 and 52 and 19. Well, no, no, I mean like a like probably like 20 games in or whatever. Like they oh, 20 games in, 20 games in, they were, they were, they were, they, well, they were like 17 and three. They were yeah, seventeen to three, like that. and I was, and it was the way they were winning with the defense, where I was like, okay, actually, this team is like a legit, legit title contender that actually could beat these teams. And then also the way that they lost to the Clippers didn't necessarily like break my faith that the Lakers could beat them. I was not like they are guaranteed to beat them, but like they were close losses. You know, like the okay. Lake, like opening night, the, the opening night, no one knew who they were. Like the second yeah. one, I, I tell people this all the time. The second one, the Laker, I tell them this, people got on me saying, man, there's no way LeBron and the Lakers are going to win. I'm just like saying, look, the Lake, the Clippers didn't beat the Lakers Christmas Day. The Lakers lost to themselves. They were yeah, up. The Lakers, choked, the Lakers choked in that game, and that was like the most improbable like series of events like for the Clippers to be able to come back and win that game. I was like, this is not recl- replicable. And so, like, I, you know, through those things, then when the Lakers beat them, beat the Bucks, like going into the what – you know, ultimately, we didn't realize at the time, would, but would be a several-month-long hiatus. Like, that was when, you know, it really started to come together, and it was clear that they had a pretty good shot going at all. Right. Let's talk about the hiring of Frank Vogel. What was it like hiring him and J- and Jason Kidd as the assistant at the time? What kind of... There was a, some there was some skepticism and criticism about that. What was that whole thing like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there was some justified skepticism and criticism about that. Again, like, you know, this is Jason Kidd. Obviously, now we know that he ended up contributing to a winning locker room. He helped this team, like, on the court. But there was a lot of concern at the time. Like, look, the guy had tried to commit coups at the last two places he was at. So, like, why would you not think that there's a good chance coming in here, being close with LeBron, uh, a coach who was, like, the Lakers' third choice that they forced to hire Jason Kidd. Like, even though Frank kind of said, like, oh, like, I wanted to do it once they suggested it. I thought it was a great idea. I mean, ultimately, the Lakers forced him on their staff, whether or not Frank liked it. And so, like, you know, it just seemed like a recipe for another coup attempt, and it never happened. So, like, credit to Jason Kidd, but at the time, like, it seemed like kind of a baffling move, especially considering, like, how badly his last couple stops had flamed out. But, you know, again, I think, you know, Vogel realized, okay, I'm a guy that came up, like, I never played high-level basketball beyond college. Like, I... I need some players' voices, some former player voices that these guys can respect and that can, like, carry a little bit more gravity in some ways than I will. And, you know, they brought in Lionel Hollins. They brought in Jason Kidd. Phil Handy. guys really made a huge difference. Phil Handy. Yeah, Phil Handy. Yeah, yeah. obviously. Phil Handy promoting him from, you know, where he had been a player development coach his whole career and making him, like, an actual bench assistant and all that stuff. So, like, I think they assembled, like, they ended up assembling an amazing staff. It just... It wasn't again. It was one of these things where there were questions to answer that they ultimately answered. But you know, at the time, I think there were genuine questions. Um, walk me through this whole year. This was let's just sum it up short: the most crazy year ever, not just in NBA but in 
life in general. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about like what was it about? Let's talk about each of like the big things that happened with the Lakers this year. Let's talk about first. Let's talk about the whole China incident. What was it like covering the whole controversy around the international international soil? Um, or to, uh, what was it like covering that whole? preseason fiasco with China and LeBron's comments and Daryl Morey. What was it like? I mean, like a lot of other things, it was wild. Um, and like, it was different in the sense of they were in a different time zone. So I was having to stay up super late, like stay up throughout the night waiting for updates from, you know, China and excuse me, what was going to go on and like all of that stuff. And, you know, whether or not the games would even be played, whether or not the Lakers were going to come home, like, you know, what, con- like would the Chinese government, like were like the Lakers and the NBA going to be in trouble over there, all of that stuff because of Daryl Morey's comments. And like, I think that that is why, like, you know, LeBron took a lot of justified criticism for what he said, uh, you know, like after when they came home and whatever. But like what I always sensed was the subtext of those remarks like, a lot of people have taken it, it's like, oh, LeBron, you know, like, bends the knee to China, all that stuff. I don't think LeBron was mad that Daryl Morey stood up to China. I think that he was mad that Daryl Morey did it while he was not the one with skin in the game in China. And the Lakers, you know, that was a big preseason trip where a lot of these guys took their whole families on. And, like, that was that was a scary moment. Frank Vogel talked about it recently on the Low Post where, you know, like, he said that he wasn't that scared, but he also was a little cautious because, you know, when you're in a country with, with an authoritarian government, like, you ultimately, like, it was unlikely that they were going to do anything to the Lakers and the Nets, but you don't know. You don't know until you've gotten through it and until the NBA has negotiated that situation. And I can see how if you have your family over there, too, like, that's scary. And, like, that's always what I felt like LeBron was upset about was not and when he said and people took the like the Daryl Murray was misinformed thing or whatever like I, I I took that more as like a misspeak and like more of like a he I think he was upset with the timing more so than the content of what Daryl Morey said but it was yeah it, it, it was another crazy thing and like a crazy couple of years with the Lakers where you know and like a crazy NBA season in general where you know you're spending the entire preseason covering and like reading up on like okay like like what is the situation with the Uyghurs and like educating yourself on like the you know something that I probably should have known more about beforehand but ultimately like I'm I'm grateful that this happened because it forced me to kind of learn a little bit more about the state of the world and you know like uh all of that stuff yeah, uh, that was crazy, and like LeBron took a lot of flack for that. And I, I'm his biggest fan. I will admit to you personally, that was one thing that LeBron totally dropped the ball on. But personally, if we all know him, like what he does off the court, there's no other athlete slash activist like LeBron. What he's done off the court, sensational, and what he did was just a minor hiccup. And I never thought differently of him. Did I? I maybe uh, yeah, lost. I don't think. The- try to take that and then invalidate every good thing that he's ever done is like that like that's crazy to me because then you're basically saying like you know like like the natural extension of that is like unless you live in a log cabin like completely self-sustaining like you're not living an ethical life because you're saying basically like if you use any product from china take any money for it do any business with china whatever like it's such a bad faith criticism where like you know like the u.s government does business with china and like all like all these companies the only one that they're going after that these republican politicians are going after is the nba and it's like hmm like i wonder why 
they're going after LeBron and after the NBA for this. Like when there are plenty of other companies that do business with China and organizations that do business with China. It's just, hmm, it's the NBA with like its majority black athletes that they're choosing to go after. And, you know, it just always felt like a bad faith criticism. It felt like a justified criticism, but the people who extend it to like, you know, every time LeBron says, you know, talks about police brutality or talks about, you know, like social justice and all of that stuff that they're like, well, what about social justice for China? It's like, well, like, have you taken like, like, should every bad thing that you've ever said invalidate any good acts or good things that you've done? Like, you know, we're all multifaceted. He made a mistake there. And like, he has to own that. People say things they don't, people say things they don't mean. It doesn't invalidate his other acts. Right. Right. People make mistakes. People say things at the time that they don't mean. And like, it happens. We all say things we wish we didn't say. It hap- It happens. And I think maybe it's because of the, it was LeBron that people took that way out of context. And so many people just slandered him and calling him a sellout when he's done so many great things off the court. Like, that's that's absurd. That was absurd. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a lot of, like I said, I think a lot of it was really, like, just done in bad faith. And, it, right. you know, it was, like, people trying to validate their own worldviews and make themselves feel better about, oh, there's not a police brutality problem. And, like, oh, like, uh, you know, uh, like, that kind of stuff. Right. Now let's, uh, let's talk about a very sad time, um, about my idol, Kobe Bryant's death. Um, what was it like covering that dark period? And what and what did Frank Vogel do to rally his troops together to win in Kobe's honor and play great enough in Kobe's honor before the um, the pandemic hit? So I, I think, like, all, like, it was, again, like, you know, it, it, was, it was horrible. But it was honestly this thing where, I, I, like, I don't think that I processed it until a couple days later because it was, like, immediately you're having to jump in and cover it and write about it and try to be responsible and ethical and, like, all of that stuff. And it was almost like, like, I couldn't even grieve or, like, be sad or, like, process that it was real because it's, like, all of a sudden you're just thrown into the fire of, like, having to cover everything that's going on and all of the fallout of it. Like, I, I don't think that it really hit me until LeBron posted about it a couple days later on Instagram. It was, like, a kind of a quiet moment. I was, like, you know, sitting at home, and I was reading his caption, and it was just, like, man, like, like I mean, it started to really hit and become and start to feel really real. Like, like when I started out doing this, I never thought that I would be attending a celebration of life for Kobe Bryant. Like, he just seemed like he was invincible his entire career. Like, this is a guy that, you know, like, like you, you'd think that he, like, you'd think that he would have played through a helicopter crash. Like, of course. He played through injuries. I thought like Kobe that. could play through anything. Like, when he, I yeah. said that, I say this to everybody, Kobe, if you could, if Kobe played, Kobe could play through an amputated arm. Like, he could play just with one arm. If he could play, if he all he, tried. he certainly would have he tried. He would have tried. Like, he would have tried with yeah. anything. And, like, when I found out that day, I was at home, um, just getting ready to, I was just working on this application. Um, and I, and then like, I was checking my phone and like when it happened, like I was in full blown denial. And then I, yeah, it's like, it was and then I started crying. Everybody it was, had like an yeah. hour where they were able to be like, 
Like, oh, like maybe it's not real. Maybe they got it wrong. I thought like, TMZ made a mistake, and then when it happened, I was just sitting. I was just sitting there, sitting there. I wasn't crying yet. I was just trying to process it all, and like everything else that day for me became secondary. And then like when I, it wasn't when I till I went to bed when I saw the coverage on NBA TV and everything, and on Spectrum Sportsnet when I saw James Worthy's like tribute to him. It wasn't until that when I just started crying before I went to sleep. It, it was it was hard because I lost my idol and I I never met him. You know, I never met him and it was like it was the darkest period of like losing like an idol of mine and it was terrible. Yeah, it was really tough. Like he was a guy that I grew up rooting for as a Lakers fan and like uh, you know, I always say that there are two people that inspired my work ethic and it was like Me it was too. my dad and it was my dad and it was Kobe. And right. like, you know, so like, I, I felt like the best way that I could honor him was by continuing to work through it, just continuing to do my job, like, show up, right, like, do the best work that I could, put the reps in, and, like, that was the best way that, like, I could grieve and honor him because, like, you know, like, that's what he would have, like, that, that was the approach he would have taken, you know, through something like that. And so, like, and then to speak to your point about, like, Frank Vogel, I think that it was a lot of people that rallied the Lakers through it. I think it was Rob Polinka. Right. I think it was Frank Vogel. I think, honestly, it may have been most chiefly LeBron James. Like, the way that he took over from what you hear about, like, that first meeting that they had after Kobe's death, like, as an organization, they all, like, had a lunch, and the way that he told stories about Kobe and, like, really tried to get everyone to rally together, like, obviously, like, it didn't take, like, it didn't work immediately. Everybody was still grieving, even when they played that first game, and it was, like, almost, like, emotionally too much. It it, it wasn't like a game. It was more like a funeral than it was a game. It was a a funeral with a basketball game intermission, and, like, like, that's a tough environment to play in if you're the home team or whatever, and, like, So I think that eventually, like, they just, and the thing that Frank Vogel kept saying was, like, we, like, even before he died, like, we wanted to honor the way that he approached the game, the way that he played the game. Like, we wanted to approach everything with Mamba mentality and, like, play out there, play hard, practice hard, work really hard. And I think that, so I think it made it more of a natural extension of, like, it was less, like, win it for Kobe, and it was more of, like, let's go approach this how Kobe would. You know what I mean? And if we win it for him, I think that like that's great. And I think they all wanted to win it for him, but it was almost more of like a like we were trying to do this before. We got to stick with the task and approach this like he would have approached it, like and continue to play hard and continue to do the job. Right. Yeah. And what they've they've been able to do like since like when once that happened, like it didn't work right away, but like going to the All Star break, the Lakers were were on a hot streak, and then after that, like. The Lakers went on a huge run. They beat uh, they beat Zion. They uh, they uh, they beat uh, that game like the day before the celebration of life. A tough close game against Boston, where LeBron hit that game that shot to put him ahead and a great defensive stop. That was a great win they had. Um, and I thought uh, before the the, the pandemic the shutdown hit. Uh, they had three big games against the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Clippers. And against the Sixers, um, AD was amazing, and uh, LeBron had that logo three, which he's cal- yeah. which he's which he's, which he's made like a nor- which was normal to him now. <laughs> and then uh, beating the Buck, beating the Bucks, and ya- and beating the Bucks, Giannis, and the Clippers that weekend. Really thought in my mind, okay, the Lakers are a for sure locked to win the championship. What they've been able to do that weekend, um, but then the pandemic hit. What what was it like? To, walk me through what was it, what it was like 
before the pandemic hitting and like what was going what was going through your head like once the pandemic hit when there was nothing to do before the NBA got approved to go to Orlando for the bubble so it was it was covering how the guys were trying to stay in shape it was trying to keep up with like what was going on and what the efforts were being made to return to play whether or not they would come back I mean for me personally it was just like trying to process everything that was going on like it felt like the world was falling apart and just trying to work through it and um like yeah so it was like it was keeping up with like what they were doing to stay in shape keeping up with what the team was doing to like try and come back like when they were going to be allowed back in the practice facility again to start like working individually and all that stuff like it was just it was a crazy time and then honestly like a lot of just trying to keep the community going at silver screen and roll where like you know everybody comes to talk lakers basketball what do we do when there's no lakers basketball and like and like we don't know when it's going to be back and so it was a lot of writing about like appreciating old lakers going back like reading old stuff like uh, you know like right like watching old games stuff like that like uh, you know one of our guys like christian simulated the entire rest of the season in 2k so like trying to get like, okay like if we don't we don't know when it's going to be back but like we will recap these 2k games for you and let you know like what 2k thinks would have happened if they played the rest of the season out and so like it was just a lot of like really just trying to get creative and stretching our muscles that way like so it was you know again like probably the un- most unique period i've ever had at this job just because normally there are like rhythms to an off season like there's okay there's like a couple weeks where it slows down then there's the draft then there's free agency then there's a couple more slow weeks and then it's like okay guys are heading back to training camp guys are back in the gym again and it all starts to ramp back up over again this time it was like we don't know when anything's going to happen we don't know if they're going to be back we don't know how they're going to do it if they come back we don't know who's going to return to play even and so it was just like a wild, like like a lot of things this year it was just like a wild wild time right it it was um what was it like going through the players' heads, um, going through the whole social justice unrest going on, um, and some p- players, not just the Lakers, some players vo- opted out to go to the bubble because of the pandemic and because of the social justice unrest. What was it like covering the uncertainty of um, which Lakers players would go to the bubble? And I mean, it was just trying to cover it empathetically, right? Because right. it's like, this is something where, you know, a lot of us are scared right now because of the pandemic. And a lot of us are angry, like, especially back at that time, like a lot, a lot of, a lot of us were angry about like the system of like systemic, like, you know, racism that's permeated this country's history. A lot of us were like upset about like the, like, you know, systemic police brutality that we were seeing documented on camera. And a lot of us were already upset and scared and angry before that. And then when it all like started to cascade on camera, well, you have nothing to do, but watch your computer for updates and watch your phone and like watch the news and whatever. Like no one was distracted because everybody was either out of work or working from home or whatever. Like, and people were really able to focus on like, okay, there are a lot of things wrong in this country right now that need to be better. And like, I think that, you know, you, so you had to take that mindset of like, okay, these guys are like, they have a right to be upset. They have a right to be a little bit scared about this return to play plan, even though obviously it went great. We didn't know at the time whether or not they would be able to keep the virus out of the bubble or how that would work. Um, And so, you know, it was just trying to understand and take it from the perspective of like, okay, like if a guy doesn't come back, we are not immediately going to be like, oh, like they really hurt the Lakers and stuff like that. I mean, that's normally not the type of writer I am anyway, but it was not, 
it was covering it from the perspective of like, let's think about this on a human level. Like when Avery Bradley adopted out, like it was not like, it was not like, let's look at how this hurts the Lakers. It was like, let's try and understand why right, of course. out. And then we can get into the basketball stuff later, but let's try and think about like, okay, like his kid has had respiratory issues. Of course he doesn't want to go there. I don't, like, I don't blame Avery home. Bradley for doing that. I mean, I don't blame yeah. him at all. I mean, he did what was best for him and his family. I, I, if anyone... Like, that's the thing. It's like, we all, right. we all want a championship, and we all want these guys to want a championship. Right. They're still real life. Like, you still have your family. Your family is ultimately, like, always going to matter. It's family first. More than your job. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, like, and it was with Dwight. Like, obviously, you know, like, you know, having to take in his child, who's like, mom just tragically died, and that was weighing on him. The social justice stuff was clearly weighing on him a lot. Like, the way that he spoke about, I don't want to distract the country. I don't know if I want to do this. And ultimately, he returned to play, but it was during that whole saga of trying to, like, be like, okay, like, let's understand why Dwight might not want to come back. And, like, let's all try and be empathetic to that. Yes, that would hurt the Lakers, but it's like, that is not what's most important right now. It's like, these guys are human beings just like we are, and they all have concerns and, like, feelings that they're having, especially right now during such an uncertain time in, like, our world history. Right, yeah, and I don't, I didn't blame Avery Bradley for it. I mean, not at all. And Dwight, I... I, I wouldn't have blamed anyone for it. No, I, I didn't... I would not have blamed LeBron. Mm, I would not have blamed no. Anthony Davis. None of them. Like, none of them would have been letting the team down because they don't... Ultimately, all we owe is to our families. Right. Like, like, they didn't owe the team anything. Like, especially when they were given a contractual out. Like, anyone could have opted out. Like, that that was a right that the NBA gave them as long as they were willing to forfeit their salary. And if you were willing to forfeit your paycheck to keep your family safe, like, how can anyone begrudge that, you know? Right. Um, Let's talk about the bubble. What was it like, obviously, getting having that big win against the Clippers with LeBron's game winner, which made me jump up and down excited. But before the playoffs, the Lakers struggled in the bubble. What, what was, was there a little, what was, was there a little uncertainty to you that they could, that they didn't, that you didn't think they could pull this off a championship in the bubble? Not bu- really. Like I, I thought that a lot of people overreacted to that just because it was like, we had seen how good this team was. And I know there was a layoff, but they clearly were not trying. And we saw them, bring their best punch, you know, against the Clippers. And then it was like they had basically locked up the one seed. A couple guys have admitted this since then. They kind of realized, like, you know, we we got this. We can kind of rest. And, like, look, if you even look at their rotations in those games, like, Frank was not playing those games to win them. Like, he could say whatever he wanted about we want to try and win, like, every game that we go out there and play. But, like, when you're, you know, when you're load managing guys, when you're you're putting THT out there for, like, 20 minutes, you know, when you're playing Dion Waiters to try and get him acclimated. like J.R. Smith. Yeah, J.R. Smith. Like, your primary goal is no longer winning the games. Like, your primary goal is getting ready to win games later and figuring out who can help you do that. But, like, they clearly were not trying their best. And so, like, I I felt like there were a lot of overreactions to that. Although, like, I will always, like, my favorite moment of the bubble seeding rounds will always be Kyle Kuzma's game winner. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, that was crazy. Jesus moment. That... (laughs) And Kevin Durant's reaction was, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think so. Yeah, no, Jesus would lock him up. That was great. Like Kevin Durant is really like actually really funny on Twitter. Yeah, he's funny. Um I, I, I that game was interesting because Denver didn't play their starters and the Lakers played LeBron and Anthony Davis and the regular rotation and they almost lost to the that, that was, was like their dress rehearsal, it felt like. Like they were like trying to like, okay, let's get one last rotation game in before the playoffs and then we're gonna like, you know, basically let the bench loose against the Kings. 
Right. Um, talk to me about the first round uh, going up against uh, Portland. Uh, again, I'm going to reiterate this. Some media members are just insane. Like, some people, like, a good amount picked the Blazers to beat the Lakers in the first round. Like, were, were you, what was, what was it like? I just laughed at that. I mean, I, I was laughing. Yeah, I, I made fun of it in the whole lead up to the series. That's where we started talking about the We Believe Lakers, like, because they were, like, it was this sarcastic thing of, like, like, okay, like, nobody, like, nobody believes in us. And, like, it's, like, I, I mean, people. And Charles Barkley guaranteed <laughs> that yeah. the Blazers. It was, it was game four of the first round when I remember, uh, I remember texting Pete, uh, Laker Film Room, and I was like, like, this team's going to win the championship. And he's like, and he's like, I agree, but like, what makes you say that? And we were talking about like, just like the Blazers, the Lakers, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing that, but like the, like the Lakers took the Blazers will to win. You know, by game four, it was midway through game four, and you just with saw the Mamba the jerseys like, on on Mamba Day. Shoulders, they weren't going to lose that around, game. Like, they weren't losing that really game. Want to be here, like, like, and that was like a good team that had to fight and scrap their whole way. And I was like, the Lakers like just took the life out of them completely. And then you know, like they did like a similar thing against the Rockets, and like the even the Nuggets, like the never say die three one comeback Nuggets. By the end of that like, final game of the Nugget series, like, even they realized, they were like, yeah, like, this team's just better. Like, they got our number. Like, they, they never did that against the Clippers. And, you know, maybe it was exhaustion or whatever, but this team, like, it, it was as dominant and, like, physically and mentally of a playoff performance, I think, as I've ever seen. Right. And, but there was, not, I'm trying to gain back to, like, the serious elements. There was, like, when the Bucks boycotted their game against the Magic, like, and the Lakers and Clippers both voted no, what was it like covering that day? Because it took a day to resolve it, and, and then... Well, it was similar to the hiatus stuff, where it was right. like, okay, let's try and understand why maybe they wouldn't want to finish out the season. What are they actually upset about? Like, what do they actually want from this stuff? And it, it seems like that was overblown anyway. Like, it seems like the reporting around that was premature, like... Everyone in that room, when talking on the record, has said that it was kind of like a preliminary, like, head count. It was not a formal vote of, like, let's right. stop the season. It was like, how are you guys feeling right now? What do you think we should do before we come back and talk later? And so, like, the Lakers went to go get dinner. It was, like, framed as them, like, storming out and, like, you know, after they voted <laughs> no or whatever. Like, you know, I just think, like, the reporting around that was a little bombastic. And I think that the, I think they were trying to make the owners feel like there was a real chance they'd walk away so that the owners would agree to more concessions. Like, I don't think that it was, like, people just trying to make up stuff. Like, I think it was it was a negotiation tactic from the people in the meeting were trying to make it seem believable that they were, there was actually a chance they'd walk away. I never felt like they were actually going to walk away. I did feel like they made some genuine criticisms of the owners. And I think they were justified in that. And I think they were smart in using that moment as a way to get more concessions from the owners to support these causes that the players care about. When we've all seen like how much of the money from these owners pockets goes into causes that the players disagree with. Right, um, and I thought the NBA and what Adam Silver was able to do. At t- hat off, tip my cap to uh, Adam Silver. He's the best commissioner easily in sports. What he was able to do um, by raising all that money for Social Justice Coalition um, and for, for putting out voting centers in all the NBA arenas and the owners agreeing to it, that's just amazing. And the NBA yeah. did an unbelievable job with that, and it was phenomenal. Um, Agreed. 
terrific. He's the best commissioner in sports easily. And what he was able to do with the workers, like to work during the bubble, giving them like days off and paying for their salaries. It, he's the man. I love Adam Silver. He, he was incredible. No, he, he's done a great job, I think, on like 95% of things. Right. Um, he's been great. Uh, now getting back to the Lakers playoff, uh, success playoff run, uh, the Houston Rockets, uh, the small ball, uh, well, they, they, the best adjustment Vogel did was not starting JaVale and starting, um, Markeith Morris, um, and putting AD at the five, which was just a very comfortable position for him. But another thing that Vogel did a very ballsy thing did was play Rajon Rondo heavy minutes because Rondo's received a lot of criticism during the regular the, during the regular season. What was it like playoff Rondo in the second round? What was he able to do against the Rockets and during this whole postseason run? What was it, and Rondo was kind of like the third best player of the Lakers this this playoff run. What was it like the fact that Rondo was able to be playoff Rondo? Uh, you know, it was it was unexpected. Like I, you know, I thought he would be better in the playoffs because he clearly was not at his most engaged during the regular season. I did not see this coming. That was like an all star level player on the nights when playoff Rondo showed up. The the way the thing that I always say is like playoff Rondo is not there every game, but when he is, like he is one of the best players in the NBA. And like like he was he was incredible. You know, he he was horrible in that first game back. You know, had some like you know was working his way back in whatever, and then all of a sudden was like a turning point in that series when he uh like really started to turn it on in i think it was game it was what game game three where he had 21 um and and like he he was incredible for the whole playoff run i literally after game three wrote an apology to playoff (laughs) forever doubting you and uh, it's like a semi-parody but semi-serious column and like i mean he was just you can't you almost can't describe it in words the like upshift that he was able to make and, you know, just becoming a 40% three-point shooter out of nowhere, being so much more clearly focused defensively, and, uh, like, just being aggressive and pushing the pace and really giving the Lakers an element that they needed on this title run. Right. Um, now, getting to... <sighs> this is a f- the funniest part I wanted to talk to you about. Um, our arch-rival Clippers. <laughs> um, what was it going through your head when the Clippers were up 3-1 to one and blew that lead to Denver? I can't stop laughing about it. What yeah, was... no, I mean, neither could we. Like, I'm sure that you saw the Locked On Lakers intro that we did where, like, you know, Anthony couldn't even get through Welcome to Locked On Lakers. <laughs> laughing, and then Pete and I started dying. And, like, it was, you know, that, that was what was going through my head. Like, it was hilarious that they actually blew that lead. And, like... I think that it showed that a lot of the criticisms of that team were justified. Like, in, like you know, they didn't necessarily – they were a little bit of front runners. I think. I don't think that they necessarily had the heart necessary to win a title. And, you know, maybe, like, a loss and an embarrassing loss at that changes that. But that team – you know, Jared Dudley even said it. Like, that team didn't want to be there. Right. Neither did – not right. But you still – when the chips are down, you signed up to go to the bubble. And you're and – and there's no excuses for you, like, not to win. No, yeah, it's not an excuse. It's just like, you know, that's why they didn't get it done. Like, I I just don't think that they have, like, the will. Like, you know, and, like, they should have closed out that series. And I'm not saying they would have beaten the Lakers, but they should have beaten the Nuggets. And they They, didn't. Up 16 in Game 5, 19 in Game 6, and 12 in Game 7. Yeah. It's it's because they're frontrunners a little bit. I think (laughs) when they get punched in the mouth, they don't necessarily know how to respond. You see people in the media, like Skip Bayless, saying... 
criticizing LeBron and the Lakers as straight up front runners and, and like the opposite happened. It, it was just it was hysterical. I can't stop laughing about it. Yeah, it's it's this interesting thing where the way that people talked about the Clippers was actually kind of what the Lakers were as like this team that like actually shows up to play every game, like motivated, like has a lot of heart, a lot of dogs. Like everybody talked about all the dogs the Clippers have. Like I mean, we didn't see that in the bubble. That that's all I'm saying. Right. Right, um, in the Western Conference Finals, um, when AD, I, I said that LeBron was the, I thought AD was the best player of the Lakers that series. Um, what he was able to do, hitting that three for Kobe, was inspiring in Game Two to win the game. Um, and LeBron took over in Game Five, had thirty-eight, sixteen, and ten. Uh, that was a great closeout um, against Denver, and what they were able to do that series. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was uh, like it was, uh, you know, a well done series from a coaching adjustment standpoint. Like they every time that they, you know, kind of ran into a problem, they were able to adjust and, you know, make the correct like changes and figure it out. And that was kind of endemic of their whole playoff run. Right. Now, tell me about winning the championship this year with the uh, what the Lakers were able to do. Uh, let's talk about LeBron first. Um, I personally, I think he's the GOAT. And I think what he was able to do against the Heat. The Heat was incredible, averaging nearly 30, 11, and 9. At age 35, year 17, um, where would you rank where what where would you rank this title among LeBron's accomplishments? Would you say this was his best championship he's won? Because I still think it's 2016 Cleveland. What do you yeah. what is a what does this legacy championship do for LeBron's legacy in your opinion? I mean, I, I think you know, I, honestly, I'd probably put it third on his list of championships. Right. But with that said, like, I don't think that that diminishes it. Like, you know, winning your first title is always going to be huge. And then the 2016 one, coming back from down 3-1, like that, people are going to talk about that forever. Like, and I, I think that this team, be, this championship being third on his personal list is not like some slight or whatever. But, you know, like, I do think that it, it just, this more than anything justify his status as walking contender can go to any team just turn them into a winner you know obviously it took a year but like that was you know we he was injured that year you know like you can't account for that like, i tell people this all the time account, but yeah like if he didn't if he didn't hurt his groin that would have been a playoff team that you know maybe they wouldn't have made the finals but they would have made some noise they were and they were fourth in the west before lebron got hurt i tell people this all the time and people thought well matt lebron's washed get just accept it i'm like no he was hurt yeah no i mean like he he was great and like he deserves all the credit in the world for uh the way that he especially like in game five when anthony davis got hurt and then the way that he responded in game six was like okay we are just not giving them any life to start this game because we're not giving them a game seven like like i mean it really he was already the goat to me but i think it just this title just even further cemented it and like his performance during this entire run and year what does this do for talk to me about Anthony Davis during this playoff run? Like, does he if he wins another title with the Lakers, where does he rank among the Lakers' greatest big men ever? Obviously with Wilt, Kareem, Shaq, and now Anthony Davis. If he what does he have to do to be remembered as one of the greatest Laker big men ever? 
I mean, I think he's already going to be remembered as one of the greatest. I, I think a second title obviously puts him past Wilt, who only got one, and it was kind of like he was not the same Wilt, you know, by the end, by the time that he was still got very him. good, and he still yeah, was still retired, good, but not the, not the but, Wilt that people think about, like you know, in terms of like. But he was still really good, yeah, obviously. Uh, I mean, they won a title with him. It's like their second, uh, first or second best. Right, player. Jerry West, um, Goodrich. Jerry West, I'm sorry, Jerry West, yeah, Goodrich, like, Will. He was still yeah. really good. Like, I think a second one puts him past Will. I, I don't think that there's, you know, beyond winning a couple more titles, like be, beyond this, I don't think there's anything he can do to pass Shaq or Kareem in Lakers history. At least not, like, it's too early to talk about that. Like, if he wins, you know, if he wins two more titles, then yeah, you have to put him up there with Shaq, I think. But, like, you know, that's the thing about this team. It's like you have to actually win to be remembered as, like, one of the best players here and he's off to a great start. He's one for one, but we got to see how the rest of his prime goes. Um, my my next question for you is um, for this off season, uh, what what I don't know if you could share this, but what moves do you anticipate the Lakers make? To because I know they want to try to get another star. I've heard Buddy Heald was a name. What what should do you think the Lakers are planning to do this off season in order to free up cap space? I do think that they will try to make trades. I'm not sure any will happen just because, like, I think a lot of the things that we thought would be assets going into the summer obviously are less so now. Like, we thought Danny Green on an expiring $15 million deal would be, like, a desirable piece for, you know, either a contender or just a playoff team or whatever. Now it's looking like that might be not an albatross, but, like, it's not a contract that a team's going to trade for by itself. I've never heard that word, albatross. um, Never heard that word. It's like a, it's not a, uh, like, like it's not a terrible contract because it's like, it's just, you know, it's just one year. You really can't have a bad one year contract, but it's not something that's going to entice a team to just trade for it on its own. Like you'd have to attach Kuzma or you'd have to attach whoever their pick is or whatever. So like, I think they'll try to be active in the trade market. I'm not sure that they'll actually get anything done, but I think that they will try. Um, I also think that I think their biggest priority in free agency is just going to be re-signing the guys they have. Um, and then obviously, like, trying to use the mid-level to add to it if they can. But, you know, this team just won a title. So I think they're going to be pretty motivated to retain a lot of these pieces. And, you know, I, I fully expect them to bring back DeMarcus Cousins, which I don't know if that means they let Dwight go or if that means they try to trade JaVale or whatever. But I um, I would be shocked if DeMarcus is not on the roster next. And I saw a report that JaVale sold his Mark Anthony home in L.A., so we'll see yes, how that... Yes, he did, but, like, I mean, so did Anthony Davis. Like, I mean, a lot of the time guys sell their houses just because, like, they can make a profit off of it and move to another place. Right. Um, so my final question for you um, is what advice... Obviously, it's very hard to break into the industry right now because of COVID and everything that has happened. What advice would you give to any journalists or anybody else trying to break into this competitive sports industry? You just got to work. Like, you got to be willing to do the work. And, like, whether that's at your own personal blog, whether that's, like, writing on, you know, like, a smaller site or at your internship or at your student paper or whatever, you just got to write a lot or you got to podcast a lot or make videos a lot or whatever – form you want your creativity to take you just got to do it a lot because it's going that's the only way you're going to get better i was a terrible writer when i started like you know like i go back and i read some of my early stuff and it's embarrassing like but like i didn't get better just like by wanting to like it was having to actually do the work and write a lot until it starts to it's like a puzzle coming together and like you know or like dominoes falling like it starts to build on itself so i think like that's the best advice is like embrace your inner mamba mentality and try to write a ton. <laughs> i love it i love it 
I seriously, I love it. I always um, view Kobe's mama mentality whenever I was um, working and studying and just trying to be the best podcaster I could be. That's what Kobe installed installed in all of us. And um, I'm very happy that Banner 17 was in honor of him and his daughter Gigi and the other seven passengers that were on that that helicopter that day. Um, It was very inspiring what the Lakers were able to do. And I'm very happy um, that that uh, it's going to start soon. Apparently, it's coming out just 22nd, the new season, Christmas. Well, see, the reason, in my opinion, that that went to every single reporter simultaneously is I think that the owners wanted that out there so the players could – they would have it – like, when you're starting negotiation, you never start where you actually want to go. You start, like, behind that, basically, or, like, in front of that, and then that way – you know, when you give some concessions, you're getting closer to what you actually want. And so I think that the owners leaked that as they're negotiating with the players on the start date and free agency and the CBA and all that stuff to be like, so that the players, if they get to push it back to January or February, can feel like they won something. That just felt like the start of a public negotiation. I don't see any way they actually start in December. Like, that would be insane to have that shorter position. They need time off. They need, you know. Yeah. LeBron needs needs some time off. He needs to. The Lakers are going to be like if the Lakers if they start in December, the Lakers are going to be like a four seed next year just because they're going to be resting the whole time. Like that, they, then that's warranted load management, not like what yeah, the Clippers. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely like that's the most warranted load management. Not what, not what, not what, not what the Clippers did. Not what the we don't want to be like the Clippers. What they did with their no, load management. Like, <laughs> this is like genuinely like giving guys like you know the rest that they need to be able to perform. Like you know I. I I don't know about four seed, but I do think that like they will not be chasing the one seed if they come back that soon. Like that would just be stupid. Right, I, I would agree with that. Um, Harrison, thank you so much for joining this podcast. This was a great, insightful interview you gave me, and it truly was an honor. You're you're, you're great at what you do. Uh, keep it up, my keep it up, my man. Um, looking forward to uh, chatting with you during. Uh, a little bit this off season and during the regular season when that resumes. Yeah, sounds good, man. Like, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on and this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone listening to this Off the Dome podcast. Um, hope all of you are staying safe and doing well. Um, have a great day and uh, go get them.